Hey! So, welcome to what is now being called Tales in Our Time. Um, my name's Janet. Um, uh, you can't see my spelling, but it's Tales. It's got nothing to do with the thing that hangs out of your backside if, you know, if you're a tailed being, for want of a better word. I think word. it would be pretty short. I think uh, a podcast about just tales of our time. Yeah, like, so... All right, monkeys, you got... Gorilla... Do, no, gorillas don't have tails, do they? Gorillas don't have tails. I would pick cats, actually. Cat tails are very good. Cat tails? Yeah, or bushy tails, but... But that is a second. This is not a recording about um, appendages at the back of your body. Um <laughs> Even if we might talk about that, but we might mention it at the back end. That was a pun, but it didn't really um, go the way I had planned for it to go. Never and mind. now you've made a premature call ahead. Now we have to have a tail joke at the end. Oh, shit. We couldn't shit. even get through the one in the beginning. Okay, well, that's just freaking marvellous then. Marvellous. Okay, so here we are with episode three, George. Episode I think episode three, or... It is the um, third one we've recorded. The third one we've recorded, that's what it is. Okay. So, I'm George, also, sorry. George, yeah. I didn't yeah. do that before. So, um, we are going to go through our order of service. We're going to start today's recording. We're talking about what we are reading at the moment. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, no, fuck. Sorry, that's wrong. We were going to do the news first, actually. George, do you want to just jump in and tell us what's new in the world of literacy and reading? Oh, yeah, we got a little bit. Um, so on the nicer, lighter side, uh, Christopher Polini is returning to the Aragon universe. His inter inheritance series is getting a new book entitled Murtaugh. Murtaugh? I don't know how it's pronounced. How's it spelled? M-U-R-T-A-G-H. M-U-R. Murtag. Could be Murtaugh. I think it's Murtaugh. Either way. It's silent G. But yeah, it's cool. It's coming out on November 7th this year, which is pretty exciting. Uh, and it features uh, one of the main dragons, Thorn. Um, but I have not read uh, all of the books, uh, the four Currently released, Aragon, Eldest, Brisinger, and Inheritance. I read up to Brisinger. Inheritance came out after my time. Uh, but I do want to go back and check him out, because he wrote that first one when he was 15. That's, you know. I that know! Wow. That's so cool. That is so cool. Good for him. Good for us. Yeah. Uh, not so good. On the other side of literary news this week, uh, Ron DeSantis continues to be just the devil in a cheap suit. Uh, yeah um everyone i'm sure already has some idea of this but uh his laws in florida currently the legislation uh, requiring teachers to remove books that are not on a state approved reading list has caused just utter mayhem in classes uh regardless of your politics this is just disruptive to schools and to teachers this is time out of their day that they have to spend looking at books and removing them based on like an absolute absolutely politically motivated 
uh, filter. And, you know, I'm going to drop my filter and just say, fuck you, Ron DeSantis. I'm right with you there, George. I mean, you know, don't always contain the F word, condone the F word, should I say, but um, I'm right with you. And here's the thing. Not only are they having to, um, you know, check out all of the books in their classroom, they have to create these stupid comprehensive lists to present to parents. You know what? Parents don't want to go through bloody lists of books endlessly. And even I think most teachers, and I say this as a former educator, um, if they read something that they know could be like borderline uh, controversial, Mm-hmm. Or even at the beginning of a school year, most teachers will tell parents what they're going to read with the class. You know, mm-hmm. and I think, yeah. you know, it comes down to that free ride reading time. Mm-hmm. But even even so, I, I think it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, teachers are already doing the work of determining what is and isn't appropriate for the students in their class. And I just... Like many of the things in this culture war, it's like if you haven't studied gender, if you haven't studied, you know, childhood education and what is actually uh, healthy to introduce to a kid's mind, maybe shut up. I don't think you're good at being a governor, but you're definitely not good at making decisions for children. Shut Um, up, Ron. That's all I got in the news. Uh, All right. Well, I think that that is... That is a nice couple of little teasers, especially the thing about Christopher Pellini. I'm really excited about that. Um, Yeah, he's cool. So the second piece, which I tried to bump you out of the way and jump in first, which was a little naughty. um, It's okay. I came back. You can't stifle me. That's true. I've tried for many years. Wow. (gasps) No, I would never do that to you, which is why you... You're such an open-minded and open person because I never stifled you. Anyway, so just uh, before we actually get into the bulk of what we're talking about today, we're going to do a quick reading check-in, what we're reading at the moment. I'm reading um, Rest as Resistance, which actually was a a book that George bought at... Harriet's. Harriet's in Fishtown, Philadelphia. Oh, Yeah. And um, who's the author, George? I forget her name and the book's upstairs. I should have brought it down with me. So bad. Um, But it's about... I think uh, Trisha Hersey. Yeah. Yeah, Trisha Hersey. So she Mm -hmm. is um, the mind, the great mind behind uh, a movement uh, known as the the NAP ministry, I believe. Incredible. Philosophy is that we need to rest more. We need to rest to allow our brains to become more creative. And um, it really appeals to me, just the rest part, really, I'll be honest. Yeah. But also, um, I did I did say this to George because she said, you know, that um, the capitalist machine is oppressive to, um, you know, it, it operates in a form of black oppression, oppression against women, um, oppression against uh all the letters uh, lgb oh yeah q you know the queer community as well the queer community absolutely and um that if we stepped away from that capitalist machine then things would look be a lot more um fair and equitable i think but i did um and i think i said this to you like i i have questions or 
I don't know, I'm reading it as a white person, mm-hmm. you know, because she's, she's a, a black person. So this is like from her point of view, regardless, I am actually enjoying it. You know, that was just oh, one yeah. of the things that popped into my head. So I'm really enjoying that. George, what are you reading at the moment? Right now I'm reading The Scar by China Mieville. Um, he's one of my favorite authors, writes bonkers dark fiction in this incredibly detailed and super surrealistic world um this particular one is set on a city in the sea made out of pirate shipwrecks it is lathered together with coral and all sorts of i don't know what because i don't know how boats work uh but it's not only that, like that would be enough to make me read the story, but it's also the story of a group of people press ganged into living here. You know, some of them take to it very well. They feel like it's a utopia sort of outside of the away from the capitalist machine. And then some of them are like, this is another machine. I did uh, not ask to be here, you know, bit like so a cult. yes, it is. It's a bit like a pirate cult. Uh, excellent book though. I'm, I'm enjoying it. It is, it is so many pages. Um, but that's good. You know, I get, I've gotten into a habit now of reading like right before bed. So I just whittle it down if it's a longer one. Okay. I'm trying to get back into the habit. I used to always do that. And then, um, I changed the job and I just couldn't focus on reading. And now I've gotten into habit just listening to books. I'm, I am reading that oh, book yeah. that you bought at Harriet's, but um, I, I, it is a challenge when you stop reading, especially when um, it's been like I've I've read all my life, you know, almost like breathing, and then to have suddenly stepped away from it and it being like, oh, I want to read. Oh, that's you know foreign to me. So that's a bit weird. Anyway, yeah, it's like retraining the muscles. Yeah, yeah, kind of. So now, um, so you've said what you're reading. I said what I'm reading. We shared a bit of news. Um, Done a uh, check-in. Done check-in. I'm just going to talk about what we're going to talk about today. What we're going to talk about today. What we're going to talk about today is um, biographies slash memoirs, because we feel there's some kind of crossover. Um as narratives, because basically it's telling the story of somebody's life. And so it, it, I think it can still engage you the same way that a fictional story can do. Um, some key moments, I do have to share these because I, I like them. Um, oh, yeah. Key moments um, in my own uh, journey of reading biographies, biographies I have read by Janet, is um, so... Some of the earliest ones I read in my teens, uh, I read a biography of Janis Joplin by Myra Friedman, um, which made me led me into Janis Joplin's world many years after she'd already died. But it coincided with the time my brother was introducing me to her music. And I've been a lifelong fan ever since. And just reading that book kind of, um, you know, just confirmed that uh, commitment I have to Janis Joplin. Yeah. Um, that's like a that's like a deep lore fact about you. That's something I've always known. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And do you know what? Yeah. Some people don't actually know it. Some people closer to me don't even know I like her that much. Yeah. But anyway, 
Um, then I went and on all to read. A book. Yeah. Then I went on to read um, Biko by Donald Woods, which was about Steve Biko in South Africa um, when they were still under apartheid law. Um, basically, he was taken into custody and, and beaten to death. And um, Donald Woods is a journalist who, who wrote about him. And um, it was just horrendous. Like they had photographs of some of the injuries that he suffered while he was in custody. It was just such a sad story. But it was at a time, I think I read it, um, when there was a lot of international pressure on South Africa to, you know, roll back the whole apartheid regime. So it was relevant at the time because it was like the what mid-1980s, I think. And then another one I read, well, so two more. Um, I read a biography of Billy Connolly, who's one of my favourite comedians of all time. Um, the goat. Yeah. Um, otherwise also known as uh, the big yin, I think is a, a moniker, yeah, because he used to come on like, you know, he, before he got older, he had a... That's this, a wild nickname. That's a crazy nickname. Yeah. He had this big, big bushy red hair, big bushy red beard, yeah. and he looked just like a sort of yeti. And somebody, I think it was like a Scottish term, the big yin. So, um, and that was great. It told a lot about uh, his background and stuff in Glasgow. And then another one I wanted to mention was um, a book about uh, a very early um, paleontologist, Mary Annette, and she mm -hmm. discovered dinosaur fossils on the south coast of England at a time when women didn't do that sort of thing. So she never got any credit for it until yeah. you know, many, many years later. And um, again, it's a really good read. So Sorry, that wasn't hell yeah to her not getting credit. That was hell yeah to us recognizing the fact that she did. Yeah, because all these... Paleontology, um, because she was like, I do that. Yeah, she used to go and collect all these um, fossils. Her dad had taught her about it, and she would clean them up, and she would, you know, look at them and study them. And then all these um, scientists from London would come down and basically just, you know, steal all her stuff. Well, they would pay her for it, but, you know, she wouldn't get any credit. Anyway, I just wanted to share those because they were a big part of my sort of formative years. And oh, yeah. as I said, you know, true stories can be narratives too. You know, um, I think we've told, we've talked before about why we like to hear stories, what's so appealing. And I think that um, books, narrative telling, it's a great storytelling medium and there is nothing greater than, you know, a true story, you know, but that is readable like a narrative. You know, it's just like, yep. a, you know, storyline, somebody's life. Stories of the self. Yeah. So we've yep. got three um, biographies slash memoirs that we're going to talk about. Um, the first one is going to be one that I read. Because I'm a bit of a lazy bones and I like things simple a lot of the time, I read a young adult biography written by Garen Thomas. Again, we that was one of our purchases from Harriet's bookshop when we were when I was up in Philadelphia visiting George. Um, Big shouts, Harriet's! If you ever get a chance, you gotta go. Yeah. You gotta go just to see the art design of the whole store. Oh my store gosh! Yeah, and the way to that go it's downstairs and see oh. that neon sign. Yeah, yeah it's so it's cool. So it's cool. just so tight. <laughs> and they also have great books. They, they have do. like so many great new books. And then downstairs, there's like a used section. Yeah, and they do events. Go to Harriet's. It, yeah, Come to Philly. Go it's to Harriet's. super cool. 
So and then go um, to Murphs for Italian food afterwards. <laughs> okay. Are you done with your plug-in? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about this book. It was called Yes, We Can. It was a biography of Barack Obama prior to him becoming president in 2008. Um, and like I say, it's a young adult biography and it, it reads as such. I would say if I had to have a guess, it's probably on about somewhere between third and fifth grade reading level. It's pretty um, accessible, which again, is quite appealing to me. Um, it didn't take me long to read it, but it did give me a lot of information that I didn't know about Barack Obama um, before I read this. And even though it is aimed at a young audience, um, the storytelling was such that it, it was, you didn't feel like it was like a baby book. Oh, and then there was Barack Obama. And yeah. He was born. It, it was still, you know, even as an adult, um, totally digestible. I didn't, I didn't have any problem with it. And so it was a really yeah. nice way to be... <laughs> So I don't know. I always feel like I'm after the fact in so many things in the world. But, um, you know, if, what, 10, 15 years ago, it was probably when everybody else was looking at reading um, bios on up-and-coming presidents, I wait until several terms <laughs> after he'd been president. That's fine. That's fine. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is all right. But um, um, I do feel I was like... I say simplicity for the sake of accessibility is good. Yeah. But, you know, definitely sure. one of the worst things about reading academic books about people is that they kind of go on a bit yeah i don't like those sort of i don't like books that go on i mean i do i, do, I don't really care how long <laughs> a book is as long as ultimately as long as i'm interested i'll read it regardless but anyway uh, yeah. so the, so this book it, it gave a good background to barack obama's uh kenyan and american nationality um, talked about his grandparents who raised him for a lot of his childhood. Um, I learned that he actually went to school in Jakarta. And I've got family in Jakarta, oh. so that was kind of like, woo! And I, I was talking yeah. <laughs> talking to my family in Jakarta about it, and they were like, oh, yeah, he's a real big deal over here. They like, uh. um, in Indonesia, they think that he's, they actually call him Indonesian. <laughs> I don't think he has any Indonesian nationality, but you know what? Fair play, they were very excited. And when he he actually visited when he was president and they were just like blown away in Indonesia, apparently. I didn't know that before. Um, and yeah, again, you know, this is a true um, sort of timeline of his life up until uh, he was running for president. It's yeah. not fiction, but it did read with a sort of um, fairy tale flair, even though a lot of his life, I'm sure, and I got the impression, was quite challenging because he was moved a lot. He had a lot of big life changes as a quite a young person. Um, it it still sort of like it engaged you, and um, yeah. you know, and I think that probably came from all these varied experiences that he had early on. Um, yeah, definitely a like life worth writing about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's, it did exactly what it said on the box. I think. Yeah. I think it did. She achieved, um, Garen Thomas achieved what she was trying to do. And she made this information, like I say, very accessible. And it was a very straightforward account of his life um, prior to becoming president. And hopefully, right. you know, it worked for a lot of young people who, who wanted to know about it at the time. 
Um, right. It's obviously for people who are interested in Obama, but yeah, not for sure. straight up propaganda. Like, no, no, absolutely not. Jesus. No, it, it was a very, um, it was, it was very clearly written, but it was also engaging at the same time because it was a story of somebody's life experiences. So I, I enjoyed yeah. it. Like I said, it didn't take me long to read, but I did enjoy it. Um, and I think that's all I've got to say about that. Did you want to comment on it? I'm just going to introduce you next. Yeah, no, I think, I think you said what needed to be said. I love the, I love getting rid of the stigma of like wanting only to read hard books. Oh I, yeah. I tried reading I, hard books. I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> Honest. Me too. Honestly. Yeah. Like I've read maybe two or three, yeah. 800 to thousand pages and only one of them was satisfying. I'll be honest. Do you honest. know, I tried to read um, uh, War and Peace once. Oh. And I just like, no. It's I had like, a friend of mine who read that recently. Or is you, reading that currently. Uh, yeah, well, she hasn't gotten through it. That's why I corrected myself. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. So, well, you know, you read what you like and you read what works for you, I guess. Um, yeah. We're reading specific yeah, also, things. Put books know. down if you don't like them. That's true. And I think to read things. I do feel sometimes like a bit of a failure if I can't get through a book. Like I've forced myself to finish books before. Yeah, um, me too. But I haven't always felt better at the end of it. I will say that. Anyway, regardless, moving on, George, um, you're going to share a book that is kind of like almost the opposite of what I said about the book about President Obama. Uh, because oh, yeah. it, it shares, um, it it delves into like uh, giving a reader a sort of view on wider issues rather than just the um, consecutive facts of the person's life. Would you? Yeah, there's, yeah? there's excellent contextualization. Okay. In this one. So go ahead then. You do your. You do you. Yeah. So recently, I read a memoir that just I could not put down. It really. Pulled me right through. I read In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. Um, this is a book from 2019 about an abusive relationship that the author survived. Uh, it is obviously very emotional, uh, really emotionally raw. But along that journey, the author also examines tropes, both in relationships and sort of the stories that we tell about love and relationships. And in storytelling itself, uh, she includes fantastical and mythological stories of lovers and particularly the consequences that story inflicts upon them, like in folklore. Yeah. So when you talk about that, does she do that as an aside or as a result of something that's happened in her experience? It's footnotes. She okay. has a reference to a folkloric index. And so she's writing and like, I'm just going to, I'm trying to talk seriously about it, but I'm just going to gush about it. Machado is like so incredible. One of my favorite writers I just started reading recently. Um, she has like such a clear voice and she's very poetic. So she'll, you know, she'll, write something about an interaction that leaves her literally speechless, right? Because she's traumatized. This is abuse that she's writing about. Um, and then she'll put a footnote and below it will cite to the folkloric index and 
than say losing one's voice because of breaking taboo right like a story from something like little mermaid or the the brothers grimm fairy tales um so that's like just from a for us as narrative nerds, I ate that. I oh, like that, oh, George. I never so heard that before. Narrative nerds. Are we are we narrative nerds. I like that. That's really cool. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. We're gonna use that again all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's gotta be. That's what uh, the people who listen. That's any. If anyone listens, you're ever. a narrative nerd. If anyone <laughs> ever listens, <laughs> we'll see shout about out that. Mike okay. and Hunter um, who do listen. Um, but yeah, so back to in the dream house. Um, it is very hard to read. It's obviously a harrowing uh, event, uh, series of events. You know, years of this person's life. Uh, but the author has, like I said before, the clarity of her voice and the contextualization within folklore and storytelling. It it makes her a reliable narrator in a different way than you expect. Like that's not a comment on how trustworthy her narrative is. That's more about making the reader feel safe. You know, she doesn't rush you into anything. Um, I just loved it. I loved it so much, and it's a great example of the stories of the self and the exact opposite of what you were talking about with um, yes, we can like facts but not you know she recognizes multiple times that she is making a narrative whether she means to or not because this is two-sided and you know there's a chance that the other person has a different narrative and and she wants to leave space for that but this is a story that must be told and so it is told like through ex like the explicit recognition that it is a personal experience and like expressing the story as such. So it's like almost she's, she's, she's integrated as part of her own narrative and her experience. She's pulled all these other kind of um, written stories kind of thing to the reader's attention, mm -hmm. just as a kind of backup illustration of what she's going through. I yeah. that do you know what that is actually very very skilled in my mind. Oh yeah, yeah. I I'll, mean, I'll I'll bring it to you. I'll bring it to you when next time we're down. Um, I was gonna say as well uh, something you were talking about the larger context that she gives. Uh, this is a, a queer romance, and in so many ways, the a majority straight culture tells fallacies about queer romances. You know. Uh, some people believe lesbians have perfect relationships, that they are immune to the potential of domestic abuse. There are any number of uh, uncomfortable or just flat out dehumanizing things that people believe about gay men. Um, again, Machado is very explicit. She's writing about her experience. She's writing about like the lens that lesbian relationships are put under. And it's an excellent reframing. And like you say, that footnote usage, that context, it's, it, it really, it's just so well supported, you know? Was that the abuse, um, difficult to read? Cause I, I, I don't consciously avoid things that, um, involve violence between any kind of people, but I also don't read a lot. I'm, I mean, just trying to sort of think, 
I don't think I read a lot of stuff that is like in your face, you know. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is to Machado's credit. She's very careful with her readers. Um, I'm, you know, I, I won't say for everyone. They're the the worst thing that I really experienced was like my skin crawling. Like the idea of, and this is, this is the horror of domestic abuse, right? The idea of feeling so safe with someone and having that so aggressively like turned inside out. It is definitely discomforting. I'm going to borrow a phrase from a friend of mine and say, guard your heart. Uh, but I do think it's worth, it's worth it. Um, and there is, there is like a, like a happy wrap up at the end, but she also prefaces that with like, uh, how should I end this? You know, I'm aware of all the tropes and all the things. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's a delight. It's a delight. If you love books, um, I'll stop. I think that's as much waffling as I can handle on it. Did you have any other questions? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think you're right that, um, the wider world or the stereotypes are that anybody who doesn't have a heterosexual relationship must be living their best life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I've seen, you know, not even like abusive relationships, but I mean, I've seen, um, I was listening to a podcast just the other day and there was this um, gay comedian and she said, she was just referencing like the only time she'd seen her girlfriend cry was when they'd been having an argument you know, so, and it wasn't an abusive relationship. It was just an argument, which couples yeah. have. But it goes to your point that, you know, relationships are relationships regardless of, you know, whether it's two men, two women, you know, one man and three women, a man and a woman. It doesn't matter. You know, we're just people really, you know, yeah. trying to figure it out. And, and relationships are fucking hard. Yeah. You know, and hopefully most people's relationships aren't as hard as that book you read. Yes, yeah. Oof. Yeah, it's rough. Uh, look out for your friends, you know? If someone describes abuse to you, don't brush them off just because the person they're talking about might be, I don't know, conventionally attractive or really cool or charming, you know? None yeah. of that matters. Your, your friends are t communicating with you for reasons. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's hard. It's hard to act in any situation where there's something extreme going on because, yeah, you know, you're stepping out of your comfort zone, number one, because we are sort of socialized to think oh, that's not a business or I shouldn't be poking mm -hmm. my nose in or whatever. Um, but also, if you're wrong, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, you know, would you rather be right? Would you rather be making sure everybody's safe? Let yourself get embarrassed, you know, but yeah. you're out there for other people. Yeah. Um, I'll pin, because I've been listening to uh, these podcasts, there's another podcaster um, who I've been listening to. We got to we gotta do plugs at the top if we're going to do all these plugs. Well, okay. So <laughs> Brett Goldstein, who uh, people might know from Ted Lasso, I believe he's going to be the next Hercules in the Marvel, I uh, know, nonsense um, but he ends all of his podcasts, which I really like. He says, be excellent to each other. And I just think that that is like, is such a good, you know, a good move just Guiding, generally in the yeah. world, you know? Just be excellent, yeah. Be excellent to each other. 
I love that. Okay. So. Moving on. We're going to move on to a different kind of um, memoir, kind of, not really a biography. Yeah. We bit. forgot. I was going to say, we forgot to mention the past, present, future thing. We moved from oh yeah pre-Obama into a 2019, and now this. this I mean, is... I'm sorry. I, I jumped the gun because I was so excited. Uh, but this is like the future. Yes, memoir, and this is this like. is you know awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> you can you can say fuck. I think I think. Um, yeah. So this is this is. I feel like a bit of a, um, you know, bit lame, really, for want of a better way of putting it. Because my next book I picked up simply because on the front cover it says my pinup, a pian to Prince. Now I'm a huge print, uh, Prince fan. Oh, yeah, from way back. Um, yeah, another thing. Because I'm so old, I've got lots of things from way back. But Stop there you it, go. you. Um, and um, peon means, we looked this up, didn't we, George? It was like a glory song or a worship sort of or tribute, yes. joyous song to a person. Um, I didn't pay any attention to that when I saw the book. All I saw was Prince, and I was like, oh, I have to read that. Um, this was... <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really slim volume, which also makes it appealing, from 2022 by Hilton Owls. Owls? Owls. Owls. A-L-S. Owls. I apologize yeah, I if uh, any errors in pronunciation. Who um, is has written, I think, for... I don't want to get this wrong. I know I, I wrote it down. He wrote for, I think, the New Yorker magazine... But he's a, he's a well-established writer anyway. Yeah, so Regardless. he wrote for The Nation, The Believer, The New York Review of Books. Okay. Um, wow, he's an art curator. That's nuts. So, um, regardless, he's a writer. That's all we need to know. Um, and this was like an essay... And, you know, like I said, it's called A Pee on the Prince, which is like a, you know, joyful song. But um, I literally only picked it up because it said Prince on the front. The author, Hilton Owls, is a big Prince fan. Um, he does specify in this, and it's really an essay because it's only like 46 pages, which, you know, again, is appealing. Um, is very specific about his, uh, the periods of Prince's career that he liked more than others. Like, um, he didn't really like from the late 1980s to the early 2000s. Um, and the essay talks about um, a black gay American who wants to find um, love, real love, that will match a love that he identifies between, that, that he sort of perceived between Prince and Kat, who was a member of the, the revolution and played with Prince, I think, pretty much consistently, because um, he viewed her as like the woman that Prince always wanted to be before he came a, became a boy. Um, and this is all his perception, but it, it's sort of like a, a memoir of his journey as a queer American, black American guy, um, and so, and he sort of references, you know, that for a long time, Prince had 
presented being open about not being labeled gay or straight, black or white, boy or girl. Um, and, and then uh, after a certain period, he sort of like created this more conservative persona. Um, now, uh, Hilton Owls met Prince after Prince had split from Warner Brothers when he wanted to take possession basically of his own material, which is, I think, an ongoing thing with record companies. Not really sure because I'm not a record company person. But that's but, post the love symbol, right? Yes. That's why he did that? Yes. Um, so, um, and the two were going to be working on an article, but it was never completed. And one of the things that Al says during this 46-page essay um, was that he was invited by Prince to go uh, live at Paisley Park with him um, to work with him on a, a written piece. But he decided that if he did that, you know, he might never get back to his life and that the reality of this guy who he'd idolised mm. would never live up to to what was in his mind. You know, they say never meet your idols. I mean, I'm not yeah, so sure, I was just but about to say. I've never met any, though. Um, and he says, so the thing was, this um, persona that he saw in Prince encouraged him to find what he says his own Dorothy Parker because he saw, like, Prince's uh, relationship uh, with Cat as, like, this sort of perfect you know, um, twinning, if you like, of two mm, souls. Mm-hmm. It's all quite sort of deep. I mean, I like yeah. it because because of the way he wrote it, to be honest with you. So, I mean, it's a, mostly a memoir about a young black gay American man coming of age, um, sent, set against the backdrop of uh, Prince. Um, so this is like a memoir for Hilton Owls. Yeah, kind with, of. But a with very, like a, the history of Prince intertwined. And, yeah. Sort kind of, of twinned. Yeah, and how sort of Prince kind of shaped what he was looking for in his life. Because, like, he references relationships he had that didn't work out because they they were never going to live up to what he was looking for. Mm. Um, I mean, I read a, a book that was I thought was going to be a biography of Prince a few years ago called The Beautiful Ones, and it was a bit of a jumble, and there was lots of pictures and sketches. Um mm. But, and I I saw Prince live many years ago back in England, um, Mm -hmm. and that was how I became a big fan of his. But I'm not sure whether or not he was a sort of artist that people could know and because Mm. he was so private. And so I think for writers to attempt that, even with his collaboration, seems pointless. But this book wasn't really about him. It was about how he coloured the, the, the sort of perception or the view of somebody else kind of thing. And, yeah. and I liked it for that because Hilton House is a very um, creative uh, storyteller. And so a lot of the, uh, the formats are sort of just different. They're told differently. The, the words he uses, I'm just trying to uh, think of. A cool example. I was going to say, it almost sounds like this is the perfect version of uh, something to memorialize Prince because he defies, you know, containment or explanation in any way. 
that the only way you can view him is by seeing his effect on your life. Yeah, absolutely. And um, But I did really enjoy it, though. I, I want to say that I did really enjoy it. Um, he stuck... So in the... Because the, the chapters aren't numbered or anything, but there's like a sort of a short prologue where he quotes... Uh, a piece by Jamie Foxx, where Jamie Foxx is... Oh, yeah. Yeah? And Jamie Foxx is talking about uh, he met Prince and how he's not gay, he wasn't gay, but, you know, if you look in Prince's eyes, then you're in trouble. And it was funny. I'd never heard this, you know, I hadn't seen this um, stand-up or anything by Jamie Foxx. So that was kind of a really light-hearted... lead into the book what was it wasn't it like one of his security or something well yeah like... so it, it goes on after jamie fox has sort of finished yeah, talking yeah. break about me off a piece i've got it right now um then jamie fox asks the security guard if he's ever looked into prince's eyes so i'm gonna read directly from the text so that i don't miss anything out Um, One thinks looking into Prince's eyes must be like looking at the world or more specifically the world of one black man loved another. How freaky is that? And who's on top in that kind of mindfuck? Probably Prince, given that he's capable of articulating this basic truth as he does in his 1992 song, Sexy MF. In a word or two, it's you I want to do. No, not your body, your mind, you fool. In any case, and that was me quoting Prince lyrics, which sound completely wrong when I read them, but there we go. Any case, um, so Fox moved, Jamie Fox moved away from Prince's world. The maestro security guard answers in the affirmative, as in he has looked into Prince's eyes. Fox asks him what happened after that, and the guard, another brother in love, but unlike Fox, okay with it, says, as if the whole thing is the most natural exchange in the world. I've been fucking him for two years now. And so I think that's quite a snappy way to start a book. I love that. I, I like awesome. it too. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it too. Um, that's excellent. What a great also note to bring us, like, looking forward into the future. Like, I can't wait to see. I mean, Prince is so incomparable, so I wouldn't want to, like, try and spin up uh, who could do a peon for Madonna or whatever. And also, you know, most famous people can suck shit. But um, I do, I am inspired by what you've told me about this book. I I do want to read it uh, just because I love, yeah, it seems, it it feels like an evolution. And it feels like, you know, a new way to look at these people who influence our lives, which isn't so much like putting a parasocial relationship on them. Yeah. And I think, you know, the way that this was written, it's a different kind of narrative because uh-huh. it's it's more of a memoir. It is a peon. I'm going to use that word all the time now. Peon. Yeah. Although it does sound a bit like peeing on. No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> peeing on Prince. Oh, God, we that sounds so wrong. such, uh, <laughs> like, really sincere deep conversation <laughs> and we had landed on such a great point and then we hit peeing on sorry no but, it's great um yeah so it's a it's like a short memoir of um hilton house like you know experience 
sort of looking for his um, perfect uh, opposite, I guess, as a, as a young person. Um, and his kind of gauge is Prince. That That's what, you know, somebody has to measure <laughs> up to something like that. But it's a different kind of narrative. And I think that's, I like the three books that we've talked about today, um, is that they are three different ways of looking at somebody's story, somebody's narrative. And um Yeah, agreed. Just very different. Wrapping up the Hilton Owls thing, I I'm interested uh whether Hilton Owls ever found his twin. If if I ever met I him, so I would love to know. <laughs> yeah. We hope we hope so. We wish that for you. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely do. And um but I think um like I say, I think all of them, the books that we've talked about, illustrate that as much as a sort of storybook, and we've read lots of those, you know, we're both reading, well, you are, my, the one I'm reading is not so much uh, narrative, but um, we both read great fiction, and um, this is just a different kind of story. It's still a narrative, you know. Yeah. And as narrative nerds, we applaud. <laughs> we applaud the authors that we've been uh, reading. Oh yeah, huge shouts. Yeah, so um, I think from uh, tales in our time, just go out there and tell some tales. Share, share your <laughs> tales, or shake your tail. For oh God, I'm going to go so many different ways. You did it. Oh, you did it. Oh yeah, you said I was going to do right. something. <laughs> shake your tails share your tails have a great week thank you <laughs>